Hi guys, welcome to episode 172 of Fitter Food Radio. So today it's me, Keris, and I have a guest with me. Uh, you may have heard her before on the podcast. I can't remember what episode she joined me for, um, but I am going to get her name right this time because <laughs> we've hung out a little bit more. I have the amazing Kate How'd you go with me. Hi, Kate. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. We had some lovely feedback because you joined us to talk about your mum having MS mm-hmm. and how you've actually kind of basically gone on a mission to change her nutrition and ensure that she's fed a, a real food diet through the kind of uh, alongside her conventional treatment. I should have really looked up the episode, but guys, if you search Kate, how'd you go? It will come up and you can find out what episode she appeared on previously. How are you, Kate? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm a bit disappointed with the grey August, but I'm hoping that September will be nicer and brighter. I feel like summer was like squashed into one week. About one week. Yeah. If that. <laughs> and now that it's getting darker in the mornings, I'm starting to feel like, why don't we just get autumnal? Let's just get the hoodies on. Yeah. Someone mentioned putting the heating on the other day and I completely <laughs> understand. It's this, cold. Week, this weekend was the first time where I was like, should I? And that's yeah. Not yeah. I'll, just, I'll get that look off Matt and I'll like, what? <laughs> Put some more layers on. <laughs> yeah. I'm just hoping we get an Indian summer, but it just makes such hoping. a difference, doesn't it? To you? We were saying like at your mood and everything. It's completely, just... completely. Just some sunshine. It doesn't even have to be hot but just some sun would be really nice to look at <laughs> I also feel like when the weather's nice I can justify a bit of time out do you feel like that like a little siesta in the garden in the afternoon oh, completely yeah I'm with you there I'm not going outside for a siesta in this weather no way <laughs> I don't know why I shouldn't have to justify that either we should all have a siesta yeah we should we should we should be more like you know the Spanish <laughs> In fact, actually, I've been trying to have them on a, this has been a few days where I've worked quite hard and we get up really early and I've just thought it's about two o'clock. I'm so unproductive right now. I'm going to take myself off just for 20 minutes and I set an alarm and I'm going to lie down. But every time I've tried to do it, basically Matt kind of, he sees me go off and he's like, I'll come with you. I'll have a lie down as well. And then the dog follows. (laughs) And then before I know it, I've got Matt doing his Darth Vader breathing in my ear. (laughs) And then I've got Hamish like woofing away and jogging, <laughs> nudging me with his feet. And I'm like, I'm just going to get up. You yeah. just ruined the siesta. It's so. not restful for you, but it is for them. And <laughs> it was your idea. It doesn't seem right. No, I need to find like a little, I need to go under the stairs or something. <laughs> yeah, just hide. hide. Don't tell them. <laughs> go in the car. Just go and have a rest in the car. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a dog bed in the back. I'll just curl up on that. Just do that. Yeah, that sounds like the best option. <laughs> And so anyway, um, I'm feeling a bit rusty, actually. I was saying to you, I've not actually done a podcast on my own for a while, but Mm. I wanted to get you back on because we hooked up in the summer Mm -hmm. and we were having a really good chat about health anxiety, Mm. which both of us suffer with. And you've had a really interesting experience with it. I said, you have to come on the podcast and share that with everybody. But also... I can see other people kind of starting to struggle with this more and more. And I think part of it is is kind of access to information. So we have we have Dr. Google now. I think another part of it is that just health issues seem to be a bit more widespread, a bit more, you know, my parents kind of talk about the fact that more of my friends have kind of struggled with chronic diseases than theirs have at, you know, yeah. at such a young age. And I think COVID has just then exacerbated the whole thing. And we've realized our vulnerability. But you have suffered with this for quite a long time, haven't you? You kind of said from early adulthood. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I was always quite an anxious child from as early as I can really remember, just general sort of anxiety, but then also OCD anxiety as well, which is obviously a form of anxiety. But the health anxiety, that kind of kicked in around mid-20s, really. So, yeah, I had a, a pretty significant episode then and then more recently as well. And what what do you think was the kind of catalyst in your 20s? Because obviously in the previous podcast, you spoke about your mom having mm. been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And yours is a, the, the, it runs in the family, doesn't it? So it's been identified as genetic and your mom's brother has a, have you had testing done as, as well or? My brother and I have not had testing, no, but actually my mum's, two two of my mum's brothers have got it as well. Oh, wow. So, okay. so there's three out of the four siblings that have MS. So that's pretty unusual. And naturally growing up when, when I learned about that, it sort of, I suppose, made me feel more conscious about looking out for signs and symptoms of MS and more sort of hypervigilant really about any sort of bodily sensations that were a bit odd. And of course, we all have those <laughs> all yeah, the yeah. time, but most people just don't think about them and don't don't notice them even and, and just sort of pass them off. But I think when you've got something quite prevalent in your life and your environment as you're growing up, such as I did with MS, you become more attuned to things potentially being, you know, going awry um, with your with your body. And so in my 20s, I can remember it was something quite, specific actually in terms of a trigger if you like so I was always a bit fearful of sitting in my mum's wheelchair because I suppose I sort of associated that with okay well mum sits in that mum has MS so I always avoided sitting in that but one day um there weren't enough seats in the room mum wasn't in her wheelchair obviously and I just thought oh I'll sit in it and didn't think much of it it was a bit uncomfortable I could feel my body tensing a little bit but I just thought okay, that's fine. You know, it is what it is. But then it seemed to trigger something because within the next couple of days, when I was back in um, Oxford, where I was living at the time, I started to feel sort of sensations, sort of tingling sensations in, on one of my legs. And then I convinced myself that I couldn't really, I couldn't walk as well with that leg. And then this escalated quite quickly and quite significantly to the point where, yes, I was convinced that I had MS. Did it, um, do you mean as in the physical symptoms escalated or your kind of panic escalated? Both. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So along, along with my panic and my, my mind was sort of, you know, telling me that there's something wrong, there's something wrong, something wrong. It was as if then that was sort of a cue to my body to then also have more symptoms. It felt like I had more symptoms, let's say. So then I was thinking, I actually, I don't think I'm walking very well. I don't think I can walk very well. And this got quite... Yeah, extreme where I just, I was having to really think about putting one foot in front of the other. Now, there wasn't anything wrong with me. <laughs> I could do this. I could do this. Um, so, you, so you went to a doctor? To yeah, get I went to the you. GP um, with a friend of mine and she ran some neurological tests purely because of my family history and uh, said, do you have, you've passed all of those with flying colours. It's fine. But I was adamant that she wasn't telling the truth <laughs> oh, wow. um, so I said I really want to see a neurologist and she said okay only because of your family history I'll, I'll, I'll um, refer you to a neurologist so weeks and weeks later of course with the waiting list I saw a neurologist and they ran some tests and then once he said you're absolutely fine there's nothing wrong with you that's not to say that 
nothing will be wrong with you ever. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Just be really clear about that. Um, but at this point, there's there's no sign of MS or anything neurological. And then within a couple of days, you know, these symptoms, as I put into air quotes, they they started to dissipate and I started to feel, you know, myself again. Was it like a physical MRI scans or just blood tests? Not at or? that point. No, no, he he didn't believe that an MRI was necessary at the time. So it was just tests where they sort of uh, look at your eye coordination, your hand coordination, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Mm. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, but yeah, the feelings were very strong. <laughs> my My belief was very strong that something was really, really wrong. And did you, when they kind of confirmed it, did they, there must have been something about how they say it with so much conviction that it kind of finally, the symptoms obviously went went into remission, I suppose, or, or disappeared. Just, yeah. I mean, he he was almost, I think, I mean, it certainly felt like it at the time, was almost laughing at me, like, why are you kind of wasting my time? Why are oh, you here? No. I, I, his, I didn't really care for his manner that much, but... I suppose it worked in a way because I felt like, okay, well, he thinks I'm wasting his time and he's a very important neurologist and um, I respect him for his position. So it must be true, you know, um, and he refused to do an MRI because he obviously didn't feel like it was necessary. So yeah, they did. The feelings subsided. My mental health got better. I started to not think about it, but it was so bad that I sat my housemates down at the time and said, "I've got MS." Before I did, did you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's 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 it is laughable now, but at the time I was absolutely convinced, and they were so convinced by my by how I was telling them that they were like, "Oh my gosh, okay, what's happened? Have you had the test? Have you done?" And I said, "No, but I know I have." Um, and then and then all of that proceeded with the actual tests um and uh yeah I then had to say okay it's it's not that <laughs> it's just my my anxiety health anxiety oh wow and then you said the same thing happened again more recently yeah yeah so last year good old 2020 <laughs> which is, um a year well none of us will remember I mean forget <laughs> yeah yeah um, both both yeah exactly exactly <laughs> whichever way you want to put it but no um I had another episode like that but at this point um we took it a bit further with scans and things so do you know what the trigger was again did you feel mm. like a decline in mental health or so I had some TMJ pain in my jaw on one side for months um, in the summer, last summer. And I thought, well, I'll probably clench my jaw at night, so probably grind my teeth. So it's probably just that. I didn't really think too much of it at the time. And then this just, it carried on and carried on to, to the point where my jaw was sort of clicking and it was kind of feeling really, really uncomfortable and really painful. So somebody suggested going to an osteopath um, that specialised in TMJ pain as well. So I looked one up. And by this point, I should say that I started to feel tingling sensation in the side of my head. And so the tingles were something I think that triggered that anxiety again, because I know that when my mum diagnosed, um, tingling sensations were one of the first signs that she felt. So it was obviously in the back of my head. I was going to say, um, had she ever said what were the first yeah, signs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I went to this osteopath and I was fairly sort of calm and rational about it. But actually the trigger there was that he said, oh, you've got tingling sensations. And I could see his look of sort of concern, which then worried me. Um, I could pick up on on his 
his look and his uh, mannerisms. And then he said, you know, are you experiencing vertigo? And I said, well, yeah, I am. Cause I thought I was. Um, and um, <laughs> just, just there and then it kicked in. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. The room's going around and around. No, I had been for the last few days. I said, oh, yeah, funny. You should mention that I had. And then he said, right. Okay. Well, if I were you and this is where it all kicked off because he said, if I were you, I'd see a neurologist quite quickly. So this obviously led to me thinking, oh, if he thinks, you know, this is something that I need to see a neurologist for, it must be bad. So I ended up going to see my mum's neurologist, funnily enough, but privately because the list was going to be so long. And at this point, my anxiety just spiralled to quite a bad place. And... I managed to get an appointment quite quickly within a few days, actually, with him. And I really respect this neurologist anyway. I've I've liaised with him with regards to my mum. So this time I was making contact about me, which was much to his surprise. But uh, he met me and the consultation was sort of like night and day compared to the previous neurologist. He was absolutely amazing oh, with his good. approach. Did you say yeah. he's had some training, though, as well in... Some extra um, training. So, so yes, he put him through. He put himself through extra qualifications in mindfulness, and wow. um, he, whilst he's a you know an NHS and private um, health neurologist, he also has experienced real stress um, and symptoms from stress himself, physical symptoms. So, I think just what I took from that was his humanness. You know, he wasn't sort of there being all the you know, official and a bit sort of intimidating. He was actually just relaying his own experience of how when he was really stressed, he felt certain things and it made me feel less odd and weird and like I was wasting his time. And um, yeah, he he reassured me that this was completely understandable given my family history and my history with anxiety, with OCD and things. So he was just really reassuring and it really helped. And he said, you know, one of the things I strongly recommend is mindfulness. Um, he said, I, I need to do it every day myself for my own mental health. But he said, however, I think whilst we carried out all the normal tests that, that the previous neurologist had done many years before, he said, I can tell that I think you need something a bit more to convince you. Um, some people, this will be enough um, to convince them that they're fine. And other people need to actually see something with their own eyes, i.e. an MRI scan. So I went ahead and had the MRI scan and again, was still in the back of my mind, even though he was very reassuring in the first appointment and I got the MRI um, fairly quickly. I still was just telling myself, he's got it wrong. He's got it wrong. He's got it wrong. Even though he's got a, you know, a wealth of experience with anything neurological. When we went to the appointment to, to see my scan, you know, going in there, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be bad news. It's going to be bad news. It's going to, I'm going to be an anomaly, you know, <laughs> um, but he, he said this, come and have a look at your very normal brain. <laughs> I, need, I want you to come and look at the scan on the screen and take photographs for your phone, for your records so that you can refer back to this and be reassured by it. And do you feel reassured? And we had really good conversations and I did feel hugely reassured, definitely seeing it with my own eyes, seeing that okay, there, weren't, there wasn't anything that I needed to be concerned about. And I said, but I do feel these tingles. I do feel these sensations and I have felt this vertigo. And he was the one that then corrected that and said, that's actually not vertigo that you're feeling. It's, um, 
it's sort of, as I, he said, can you describe it? And I said, it's sort of like I'm floating along the ground and I feel like I'm slightly dizzy. And he said, well, this is low level anxiety. That's what you can feel like. And as soon as I said the floating, he sort of nodded with, you know, ah, okay, yeah, it's that. And he said, of course, you're feeling physical sensations. You know, it's not all in your mind. It's not all made up as some people would, would think. We, we can have physical feelings when we're feeling that anxious. And we do. And did he say, if I remember, you said that when you, you're kind of focusing in on a certain symptom that you associate with a health fear, yeah. you will develop that symptom. So yeah. it's not also that you're inventing it. You are actually having that symptom. Yeah. And it's almost like the, it's kind of like the mind playing tricks, but you would never know that. So, or your immune system playing tricks or whatever it might be. Because he was talking about saying people come in with symptoms of brain tumours and they can describe it to the letter. Yeah. And that's their fear. And that's maybe what they've kind of yeah. read up on. Exactly. And with me, with the family history of their mess, he said, you know, the signs and symptoms from your mum and uncles. And, you know, you've, you've, you've seen it and you've heard it most of your life. So you're very hypervigilant to any kind of similarity to those sort of symptoms that you think you feel but he said but the, the truth is we all have random tingling feelings we all have slight numbness every now and again we all have these things that most people as I was saying earlier won't recognize and won't even notice but when someone's so hyper focused on what was that what was that I felt something I felt something then it just makes it worse and worse and I think most people can can um understand that when you focus in on something focus your attention on something it can get you know, better or worse, depending yeah, yeah, on what you're, more, how you're focusing. Did yeah. your symptoms do, or more or less do the same thing after the appointment and the Yeah, scan? yeah. Really? It took a little while. I was still having, uh, during, the, sorry, between the two appointments, I was having horrible panic attacks at night and was, yeah, just not in a good place mentally. But God, no. af afterwards, gradually, but reasonably quickly, within a couple of weeks, I was feeling much more at ease. But I said to him, I'm still feeling these head tingles. And he said, you will, but they will go. And I was convinced they wouldn't go. But um, they did. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was going back to the osteopath. He was he was um, thinking that I had some very specific tumour <laughs> um, uh, that these head tingles might be indicative of but it turns out that that was not the case and actually the neurologist said oh my goodness I wish you'd never said that <laughs> kind of but I suppose yeah. again on the in defense of the kind of anyone who's doing body work they must have to be just on the side of caution mm. but I remember when we were in clinical training and this is something I passed on when I was teaching it's like the language you use mm -hmm. <laughs> you've got to really think twice about it and almost present the case of best best case scenario yeah um and then just encourage checking and then it's so likely that that is all it is. Never mention worst case scenario. And even now you probably do the same. We don't ever mention the, the more sinister things because mm -hmm. you will just see someone's health just spiral, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or decline really. And, and symptoms can spiral out of control and inflammation spreads and just funny things. But inflammation yeah. is also coming from your brain, which is saying you're in danger. Yes. Let's go into defense mode and let's kick off. And I think yes. sometimes even minor symptoms become major as a, as a result of that. Completely. And I can completely identify. I think most people listening will completely identify with so many things that you've said. And if you've had some health issues or, you know, family health history is, you know, maybe you're at high risk of, of some of these conditions that it's almost a fine line between 
hypochondria and anxiety as well. And you don't want to appear that way, but there's definitely been times where I think Matt's given me a look as if to say like, (laughs) him him and my parents often say, you know too much, you know too much about the body. And so you're kind of thinking when you get a symptom, oh, it could be this. And um, it's definitely, but I always sometimes think I'm almost in danger of of having that accusation of like, you've become a complete hypochondriac because I'm just careful as well. And I'm like, well, I want to get this checked and I want to make sure it's not this. And exactly. Yeah. And that's actually what this neurologist said. He said, when I said, okay, let me just say right at the beginning of of our first consultation, I said, um, I should tell you as well that I do have some health anxiety. He said, as do I. And I was like, really? (laughs) As do I. And he said, most GPs have a degree of health anxiety or hypochondria, however you want to say it. Um, Wow. Which you'd never think, would you? You wouldn't. No. Which kind of, yeah, go on, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, which is, I think, why he's so passionate about now running this um, mindfulness course for GPs. Um, And he does it reasonably frequently by the sounds of things, because he knows that medical professionals are under immense stress a lot of the time and actually they can like you said they can know too much and they can they see they see a lot they take on a lot and sometimes I think it makes you more vulnerable to poor mental health if you don't look after yourself yeah definitely and like you said I think once there's like a bit of anxiety there anyway maybe about something else you then don't necessarily make that link between I've absolutely run myself down this week that's why I've got brain fog and I feel like yeah. that floating sensation is really interesting because a few people have mentioned that <clears throat> recently clients who have kind of got almost like maybe long COVID or viral stuff or kind of chronic infections and and they've kind of mentioned that that feeling of just almost like not being themselves and yeah. and like not being able to kind of collect thoughts and and you know like I said they kind of call it brain fog but some of it even said almost like I, you know can't get my balance and can't float yeah. and and to be fair, Matt and I used to say, when we, whenever we trained, did personal training, I said to Matt, have you ever noticed really stressed people who are working long hours and have so much going on in their heads, can't balance? Like if you get mm. them to do a single leg exercise or jump on a box or anything, they'd almost like freeze at the thought of jumping on a box and like, and they'd say yeah. like, oh, I feel a bit, you know, like a bit off kilter today. Do you mind if I don't do box mm-hmm. jumps or something like that? Or you make them do a single leg exercise and they'd be wobbling all over the place. And I said, I wonder if it's like stress just has such an effect on your kind of coordination and, yeah. and your, you know, kind of balance centers and things like that. Or if it's just that they can't collect the cognitive function to coordinate, you know, like brain yeah. to muscle. I'm not really sure what okay. it is. Yeah. 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 But you, you would definitely, I, I said that to Matt. I was like, stress people can't balance. Like, it's just, <laughs> I just noticed this. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's probably a fair observation. Yeah. I think you're just, if you're in fight or flight, you know, you're in the sympathetic nervous system state the whole time, then you just, it's not a, it's not a place that we should be in all the time or for no. long periods of time, as of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they probably don't realise that it's there mildly in that phase. It's not that yeah. they're kind of, you know, necessarily... Yeah super super stressed all super the time stressed, exactly they might not know and they might not feel like oh I'm not that stressed you know you hear that but actually we probably are just this sort of low level constant stress feeling that can have a massive impact so what and what do you think has kind of helped you I mean you've not had an episode since then no no if you and, and obviously so it's hugely beneficial to just go and get that reassurance from somebody that you trust yeah um especially as you are you know that that risk is kind of present for you but yeah. is there anything that you feel you do on a day-to-day in terms of 
either habits or nutrition or supplements that that kind of helps you or supports you not yeah. let this kind of get out of control yes I can only really um, properly remember the episode in uh, last year and I can remember around that time I had neglected looking after myself for a while I was under quite a lot of stress for things and I hadn't been exercising (laughs) very consistently um, at all for a while so once I started feeling better and I got back into exercising more regularly I know that without a doubt that is one of the top things that I need to do (laughs) in order to avoid anxiety getting sort of out of control so maybe not maybe not box jumps though probably not box jumps (laughs) (laughs) or standing on one leg and doing pistol squats or anything like that (laughs) well I can try no I um I was just going to caveat that and say I don't necessarily mean full-on high intensity kind of exercise but just out walking maybe like jogging but really it was lots of walking um so yeah so now I yeah get outside um, I know it's a cliche, but get into nature. I find that such a help and some form of moving your body. And it doesn't, you know, it's, sometimes I'll feel like really energetic and want to do something really hit style. And then other times I'll just want to do yoga as long as it's something. I can tell if I've not done something for a few days, then I can start to feel more anxious. And it gets to be a vicious cycle, I think, because when you're anxious you do sometimes just want to like curl up and retreat mm-hmm. and you can find comfort and just hiding away from the world and it gets yeah. harder and harder to put your trainers on definitely and I think lots of people get stuck in that that place and then it's only I'm really lucky I think having a dog because it's just although today actually he tripped me up <laughs> in the middle of a run and oh, I went no. absolutely flying <laughs> but it was one of those days where he was doing everything possible to annoy the heck out of me and like he decided to he never does this normally but ran in between my legs with a massive stick because he wanted me to throw the stick so he thought oh, if I gosh. run in between her legs and trip her up I turned around and I was like oh my god I'm just this like, is not a day you want a dog <laughs> biting my tongue but most of the time like you know we have to get out with him and I'll be like oh it's raining oh it's dark I don't want to go and then I'm out and it's kind of like oh it's pretty magical out here even though it's you know it's yeah. you know it might be a bit grim I'm otherwise sure there's always something that's like oh look at the stars look at the moon look at the I don't know something or oh, I can smell an open fire in the neighbor's like house or something you know and you're kind of like oh I feel better just getting outside of my own head exactly it's, it's probably like kind of more what you're doing yeah and that's what I mean yeah exactly what you said sometimes it feels oh, daunting the thought of actually doing something big workout or something but if and if you just get outside for a walk even if it's just a gentle walk if I never come back from a walk feeling worse <laughs> or from doing any exercise really but you- I think it's really important to listen to your body to a degree but <laughs> not um listening to it when it's saying oh I don't do anything just you know curl up in bed you know so there's got to be a point where you go no hang on I know what's good for me at this point is to let's just start with a walk and then after the walk maybe I'll feel a bit more energetic and I might be able to do more of a a little mini workout or something yeah it's, it's interesting because Matt kind of he was saying that when people have got health issues anxiety there's kind of elements to which you feel oh I should rest up I should I shouldn't <clears throat> go anywhere near a gym I should take it easy I should be kind you know or when I'm stressed it's like well I don't need that intensity I think as somebody who he's always found training like gives him more strength and stamina to get through things mentally. And he's very good at like kind of adapting and regressing a workout if he needs to. 
um, he will always say, I think people need to kind of give it a chance. And he says, like, give it, give it 10 minutes. And then yeah. if it's a walk, you know, you just kind of get out there and do a brisk walk, but give, give it 10 minutes. And then you kind of just know it's like, yes, I've got more in me. Yes. I can take it up a gear. This walk's just perfect for me today. I can just yeah. do that, but it's going to serve a purpose. And I remember when I first started a gym, one of the guys said always, you know, the first 10 minutes is the hardest. So get mm-hmm. past that. And then you'll always kind of know if you've truly got something, you know, something in the bag that day. So I think yeah. it's, it's, it's nice. And that's why if there's accountability with like a friend or something. So yeah, yeah, um, I totally agree. I, I think that, yeah, you often surprise yourself actually how much better you feel, even if at the beginning you think I'm really not feeling up to this, but something's telling me that I should give this a go, say a workout. And then nine times out of 10, you'll feel great for doing it. But there, there has been times where I've started, there have been times where I've started a workout and thought actually five, 10 minutes into it, more like 10 to 15, I've just thought, I think I'm done now. I think I'm done with this. I'll just go and, you know, walk around the block and finish off like that. Um, So I think it's just trying to listen to what you feel like on that particular day. Um, But holding yourself a bit accountable, you know, not just letting yourself lax into just resting the whole time. There's got to be a balance. I think another, um, recently I just started training with a friend, not, not every day, but just a couple of mornings a week. And I'm normally one that quite likes to, again, exercise on my own, a bit of a control freak in that I want to know what I'm doing and I'll know that it's kind of on my terms. And also if I'm feeling a bit crappy, I don't have to compete with anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, hang on, I'm just going to bark. Um, <laughs> But recently I've kind of met a friend for some exercise sessions. And even that I've realized you're suddenly not in your head. Yeah. You're not kind of chattering away your brain. Yeah. You know, you can kind of, that sometimes is, is, is worsening anxiety and, and kind of mm-hmm. maybe negative mindset. And so just to be with somebody else and I've done the same, I've met friends for dog walks and they mm-hmm. just almost proved medicinal. And yeah. Matt, Matt even identifies it. He's like, you can leave the house sometimes you've got a face on you. <laughs> you come back full of their news. Like, you know, you're like, oh, this happened to them and this happened. Yeah. And, oh, the t- did you know this? And he's like, it, like it, and it really energizes you to be with the right people. Not all always you know, don't even need to be in large groups and have lots of company, but I think the right people, I've always said there's certain conversations and company are just medicinal and can Completely. really improve your, your mental health. And therefore, if you do have chronic issues, your symptoms just improve as a result of that. Yeah. And funnily enough, that was one of the things I was going to add to when you said, when you asked about what are the things that you do to sort of help and, and being with people that make you feel good or make you feel calm you know that you can kind of almost feel that energy from them and that's been really helpful is making sure that I'm not putting myself in company that's going to make me feel more anxious and we all know that kind of company yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very individual but yeah trying to not always be on your own because sometimes you do we just think oh I just need to be on my own and sometimes you do but other times like you've just said it's so helpful to be with people that you know, give you energy, um, don't drain your energy and that make you feel calm and make you feel good about things. And I think with the ones where you have to see them, it's about a friend of mine always says micromanage them. Mm. So if it's somebody that you have to have contact with, cause it's like in a work capacity mm-hmm. or it's in a kind of maybe related, you know, not that you want to necessarily think of that, that situation, but if you micromanage it, so you see them on your terms and you've got your boundaries in place and you kind of step in and help a bit, but don't let them kind of drain you of everything yeah. and don't let their mindset become your mindset, which is quite an easy, you know, situation to, to be in. I think you mentioned breathing exercises earlier and yeah. And I would definitely say that's a big one for helping 
any kind of anxiety really. But I think I'd caveat that and say to not put too much pressure on certain breathing exercises, because I think it's become quite a big thing of late, you know, breathing exercises and certain types of breathing exercises and Wim Hof style and all these sorts of things. But I, I, for me, it was just more observing the breath and just concentrating on the breath and just bringing your attention to that, not necessarily trying to change it in any particular way. If anything, then just trying to make the out breath longer than the in breath, but not necessarily counting to a certain number because <laughs> I would be out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know the fast out will be, but also I think I would feel because when you're feeling a bit panicky and, and anxious, you're very conscious of how I think my, my breathing's getting quicker, my breathing's shallow. Really. Yeah, yeah. And if you're focusing on it too much, it can draw attention to the wrong sort of to your breath in the wrong way. So I think you've got to be mindful of that. And just make sure that you're not stressing yourself out more by focusing more on the breath, if that makes any sense. I tried to do, um, I think I was listening to Wim Hof on a podcast, Walking the Dog, and then he was telling me his style of breathing. I started doing it straight away just because I'm going to try this. Yeah. And then halfway through, he goes, never do this like when you're exercising. Oh, <laughs> no. I'd walked about half a mile, kind of like hold my breath. Yeah. Like going blue, <laughs> but you've got to, yeah, and, and yeah, Wim Hof and stuff—they're they're really good. But you've just got to be in the right kind of well, a not on a walk, by the sounds of it, <laughs> yeah. exercises, but also just be in the right kind of headspace for that. I think actually, what you said is, I think you're right in that. A friend of mine who's a yoga therapist, Linda, she um, should probably get her on the podcast. She was saying that when she did her training for yoga therapy trying to when you've got anxiety kicking in and especially if you're more kind of urging towards panic and, and mm. it's building that trying to do any kind of structured breathing isn't actually that good for you so trying to do your four seconds in four seconds yeah. out and things like that she's like it could actually exacerbate anxiety yeah. because you're breathing in a way that's not very natural and so you're adding a kind of stressful element to the situation she was saying that if you've got kind of anxiety building in you she said often movement's really helpful. Mm -hmm. So she said you've sometimes better to like open the door, go outside and do some jumping jacks or mm -hmm. like 20 bodyweight squats or some push-ups. And she said like use that energy that you've generated to, to basically exercise. And then there are other times when maybe it's kind of more about the mind chattering that the kind of counting the breathing could be a distraction or like you've said, maybe just observe and then slightly adapt. So it's not such a big shift for the body to try to force, I suppose. Exactly. Um, and I, I would say that when I'm kind of waking at night and I can feel my mind chattering and it always goes to like worst case scenario, you know, like <laughs> as it dies in the middle of the night. This <laughs> <laughs> morning I woke up and Matt was driving to London and I convinced myself I was going to get a phone call. I was like, you know, when your alarm goes off and you snooze. I dreamt that I was going to get a phone call to say that he'd had a car crash. And then it was so weird. I almost like couldn't stop my brain thinking about that. It's just so crazy how it goes to like your worst fears. It's like, what a lovely thought to wake up to. <laughs> like, and have to text him and go, are you alive? Just yeah. confirm. Are you actually in a car crash or not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how powerful those thoughts can feel in the middle of the night, you know? Oh, honestly. When you haven't got someone set, like sensible there as well to go, mm -hmm. no, it's just your, your kind of, uh, you know, your mind taking you to worst case scenario. But that's when I find the kind of breathing, like, counting and and kind of yeah. just focusing on in breath out breath and I, sometimes I'll give myself a count more to distract myself like counting sheep yeah and then the next thing I know I'm back to sleep yeah my second favorite thing is to like close my eyes and think of like a favorite memory of like I've heard you say this yeah, yeah that's really nice yeah I haven't tried that 
It's just really random ones. Like I always remember things like my first ever date when I was 16 was just oh. the most exciting thing. The first time I like <laughs> kind of clapped eyes on Matt, that was quite exciting. And, oh. you know, kind of, yeah. So like, I'll just close my eyes and almost relive it. I like, mm-hmm. literally remember every single second of it. And I think it's kind of one of the skills of obviously I think when you're quite an empathetic person, you can just remember feelings really, really well. So yeah, and get visuals quite clearly as well. Yeah. Another yeah. thing that I've actually found helps, I'm going to shoot more questions in a second, is um, if you've ever watched a film, especially like a true film, and, and one that's kind of got lots of, I quite like biopics, and you go on an emotional roller coaster with people. So I love Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. I've liked a lot of the things like Green Book and Hidden Figures about kind of, you know, life. overcoming race and things like that, race, yeah. racial divisions and things like that. Anything to do with, I watched Halston recently on Netflix, which is again about a designer, a bit of a troubled soul, but an amazing kind of creative ability. So anything where someone's got this creative talent and you see them kind of struggle with that and addiction and other stuff, I find it really fascinating. But just to kind of wind back, I'll watch something and I read George Michael's biography and like obviously that kind of went through all of his highs and lows. And mm-hmm. then when they tell you the story of like a performance that they did and you can go onto YouTube and watch it. So I read George Michael talking about his first ever appearance on top of the pops and like how much of a high that was for him. And then you can go and watch it on YouTube and you can mm-hmm. literally see it. And I think as someone who's like, again, a bit empathetic, I'm like, I can feel like how exciting that must've been. Yeah. And it just lifts you also, cause I love George Michael and his music. So <laughs> I'm just like, this is amazing. But I remember yeah. him saying how excited he was to step on stage. And I did the same thing with, um, I watched Bohemian Rhapsody and then watched Freddie Mercury do Live Aid. And that mm-hmm. was his like, I think it's one of his last ever massive yep. performances. But when he stepped on stage, he knew it was basically that he was terminally ill. And so when you see how amazing that must have been for him in terms of like one of his final performances and you see it, I'm probably sounding like a bit of a nutter, but honestly, I can watch it over and over again and I can think of him in the film and I can think of his story and I can wow. be like, I can almost feel that, that it just lifts me to think about how many people he made happy on that day. Yeah. Just, yeah. His time was too short for sure, but boy, did he make the most of it. And it just Absolutely. kind of fills me with like a load of energy. So yeah. that's another thing you can do. That's another <laughs> thing to do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Might give that a go. Cause I was going to say, I, I sometimes listen to, um, I'm a big fan of the Calm app and the sleep stories on there. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah or, or Headspace. But yeah, I found Calm really, really helpful. I think it says Calm app then. I was like, what's the Calm app? Can't you mean Calm as in C-A-L-M? Calm yes. app, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but making up your own visualisation sounds even better. <laughs> Do you know what? I think it's just sometimes like you forget how much cool stuff has happened in your life. Like yeah. you can go right back to the day you met the love of your life that, you know, if you got married or whatever and close your eyes and just relive it and everything you saw and how people were and family that may not be there with you or friends. Mm. And, and you can just, I don't know, I kind of like visualizing it and the laughs I've had with friends that aren't here anymore. And I mm. kind of cherish it. And it reminds me that, you know, you're kind of lucky to be here and mm-hmm. you've got to stop catastrophizing and mm-hmm. going to really negative places and wasting your time essentially like a lot yeah. of the similar to you with the health challenges I've had I've kind of gone well what if this is you know something quite serious how do I feel about how I'm spending most of my time how I'm allowing my you know kind of brain to take over and and dictate how I should think and feel across the day and and you you really is is a catalyst for you thinking I need to be you know I need to change this I need to to be more positive and I need to kind of accept, you know, certain things and, you know, let stuff go and, and 
really improve my mental health in in that sense. So it can be yeah. a, a blessing in disguise, despite not feeling it at the time. Yeah, I would agree with that too. It gives you some perspective, and when you're you know when you're feeling good after having a particularly anxious time or something, you just think, yeah, I don't want to go back to that kind of um, feeling again. What can I do to try and avoid it? You know, things can I put into my day to help me avoid going there again <laughs> well I think it's, it's a weird thing as well that we tend to like we're so busy and we have so much stuff to do that like when I do questionnaires with clients I say like what 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 do you enjoy doing what makes you happy and how often do you do it and it'll be like I like the cinema I've been once this year or do you know, like, I, know, I, know. Oh, I like having a muscle or I like I mean sometimes it is things that are hard to do and, and often I'll go back and say you can give yourself relaxation breaks in the day mm. you can have relaxation snacks you know you can watch 10 minutes of sex in the city that's what i'm doing mm. at the moment i'll be so bored i'll have done two hours of work and rather than push a third hour i'm like no i'm just gonna go and watch like half an episode and yeah. have a cup of tea and switch my phone off and i never used to do stuff like this but yeah. how much of your day do you feel with little pockets of happiness and yeah and you know, we often think it's got to be like a, a pampering weekend or something like that to you know to be fully relaxed and it doesn't have to be like that and the more we factor these into the week then the less you need these big two-week breaks to to get your health back and get your mental health you know kind yeah. of back in balance i'm just on so the sleep stories actually it's it's interesting because i'd heard um there's i don't know what the app is or whatever but i know there's one where celebrities read them like um tom. yeah uh, tom hardy and yeah i only know him as the duke of hastings from bridgerton that's all that's all he's ever gonna be known <laughs> as to me but i know he reads them as well and i've seen an advert and i thought would i like that or not i don't know but at the weekend matt and i visited my niece and she was like i want two stories at night and i want one of matt one of keris and it was really interesting because um when we went to kind of read her a story, she was like, you have to lie on the bed with me. So it's like her bed's tiny. So that was her like sprawled <laughs> at one end. I was at the other. And like I read one and he read one. And by the end of it, the two of us were struggling to stay awake. And I it was bet. like quarter past yeah. seven. <laughs> but one thing I noticed is sometimes after dinner, I can get like some of my digestive system can kick in and I've been traveling and eating different food. And I was kind of a little bit like I'm bound to have some kind of mm. bloating and things like that. And I said to Matt, like, I'd almost got into bed and I was like, oh, my stomach feels a bit dodge. And then by the end of the bedtime story, I felt amazing. And my wow. stomach, it's like it relaxed my entire nervous system, but definitely my stomach. More yes. bedtime stories for you, Karis. I think so. <laughs> I might get Matt to read them. <laughs> He's right, so he actually fell asleep halfway through. So yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, there's the Calm app have um, famous people on there. Matthew McConaughey's sleep story is my go-to his voice just sends me to sleep. oh really <laughs> so nice yeah yeah i'm gonna try that i'm definitely gonna try that yeah it's the same story i've never got through to the end of it so i have no idea what happens but <laughs> that's the whole point i guess <laughs> is that you sleep at some point during the story <laughs> do, you, do you then dream about him or not sadly not oh, no, no. <laughs> that would be an added bonus <laughs> that would be an added bonus uh, no <laughs> You always like want some kind of someone needs to develop a little app or something or like a wristband that like when you wake in the night it detects that you've woken and he chips back in and goes shh go back to sleep. Wow, you could sell that at a much higher rate. <laughs> yeah. Stirring a little bit. Go back to sleep. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> McConaughey, not your Matt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There you go. It's a business idea right there. Yeah, I'll get working on it. <laughs> um, 
What else was I going to say? Also, anything that gets you into your body as well. So I know this is a bit of a popular thing at the moment, but cold showers or cold water. Yeah, that, that can be really helpful too. I found just a little blitz at the end of a shower. Of, but I've done that for years and years, actually. Have you? Um, yeah. But um, I've increased the time period of that more now. <laughs> or getting in the sea if you live near the sea. I was going to say a cold water swimming. Yeah, oh, I've recommended yeah. that to a few clients who live by the sea. One's kind of building up very, very slowly. But I think as well... It's interesting. I've got some clients who, whenever I tell them, I've got very highly compliant clients who are really interested in health and want to do everything. And, you know, sometimes when I speak with them, they're like, I've been doing like 30 minute cold showers. Like, you know, it's almost (laughs) like I think some people need to, it's like the breathing, you know, you're forcing something that actually your system's more about could you be a bit kinder to me right now? Like mm-hmm. a, I think kind of type A super stressed people like to be able to tick off lots of things and be proactive. Yes. I definitely put myself in that category and I've done a bit of cold showering, but then I'm like, actually, I think weirdly, like a really hot shower works for me in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost, I'm quite a cold person anyway. I've always, okay. I'm always freezing. So I kind of will go for a really hot shower and then I'll feel quite kind of energized by that. But it's interesting in Chinese medicine, I was speaking to the Chinese medicine doctors that I kind of refer a lot of clients to. And sometimes we'll chat about different cases <clears throat> and he'll say things like this person needs more warming foods. Um, they don't need to be doing, <laughs> I think I asked once about like, Oh, you know, they're quite enjoying like cold water swimming. And he was like, it's okay, but you know, they definitely need, they need warming up if anything and not too much stress temperature wise to the body. And it's, it's kind of interesting that they have, it's, it's about looking at that balance really with each individual, the, definitely. the yin and yang. Yeah. Yeah, during the highest sort of time when I was, you know, really stressed during that period last year, I definitely wasn't having any cold showers because of that. I thought just knowing that that intuitively I knew that that wasn't going to be good for me at that time. But then when when I've got to a better state, sort of physically, mentally, um, more as a maintenance thing, I guess, it's yeah, like, yeah. I actually really enjoy it. But there'll be some days where I think, no, I just, I just feel quite cold at the moment and this is going to make me worse so I'm just going to skip it today I'm not regimented about it and I think that's where like you're saying some people I think can get caught in thinking they need to tick all those boxes and it needs to be consistent and they need to just do it no matter what and push through and push through and and actually that can be more detrimental to if you're not listening uh, that's what I keep coming back to I guess is listening to what you actually need at that you know that day or that moment and trying to be a bit more intuitive about it I guess it's about bringing it all back into to balance, isn't it? I think. Yeah. And, and like you are, like we need to kind of trust our bodies to feed back a bit more about what they want. Yeah. You know, kind of from a food perspective, from a kind of environment, you know, even temperature type thing. Yes. Like, yeah. I think it. I think it is really helpful. Do, do Do you change anything in terms of like social media? Do you kind of come off that side of things? Because yeah. one thing that. It's funny, I met a friend last week and she's had some kind of ongoing health issues, like kind of chronic infection and stuff. And we were chatting about Dr. Google at night. And I was like, oh my gosh. it's so addictive. <laughs> I said, if I flared in the day, I cannot help but like start typing in my symptoms and I'll get three or four. So I'll try to find the links and I'll start reading scientific papers and then I test you case studies and I'll be like reading for a case study and I'll be like, wow. <laughs> Matt, it's pancreatitis. You know, like, literally, like it just, and he, he he gets so annoyed. He's put that phone down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I always have a worse night's sleep. And I, but it is addictive. I just because I, I suppose I kind of want to fix myself. And you, mm-hmm. you're the same. And mm-hmm. is that something that you kind of battled a little bit? 
hundred percent. Yes, I would. I can't believe I haven't actually even mentioned that yet. <laughs> Is that um, the worst thing? Uh, any of these, you know, the two big spells of health anxiety I've had. Doctor Google has been the bane of my life during that time. I just, like you said, addicted. Just couldn't help but try and find an answer, try and find reassurance, and it's human and nature. I think it isn't is human it? nature. Yeah. It is completely. And so I'm, a, I'm a lot kinder to myself about that now. If I see myself going down that route, I'm like less harsh and just more understanding. Okay, I know why you're doing that, but we need to just rein that back. You know, stop doing that. But yeah, certainly during the period last year um, when I wasn't feeling great, I. I took all social channels off my phone entirely Um, and I didn't really look at them on desktop either just because I thought this isn't making me feel any better in fact it's making me worse I'm comparing myself you know which we all do anyway but it was heightened at that point because I was feeling particularly low and I just thought what are the things and that was actually my partner that suggested that he said I think you know why don't you try taking off the social channels off your phone because that can be that's an easy thing and it's easier for him because he's not into social media so it's fine <laughs> yeah. like, um but I did and and I actually didn't miss it for that time at all um and I really was much more aware of when I was creeping towards Dr Google and I was thinking come on get get off that get off that if I started to go on to it I just think is that actually going to help you or is that going to make you worse it's likely to make you worse so let's try and distract yourself by doing something else or journal in fact you know sometimes I just write down why I want to how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling like the need to um, Google something and try and self-diagnose. I think there's also a pressure on you. You're a nutritional therapist now. So I think Mm. there's also an element to which you know more. And we've had a bit of of chat about sometimes you know too much. And that's like feedback that we've both received from our partners and family. Like you probably know too much, like a doctor. So same thing. So you can kind of put two and two together quicker. But there is always an element of pressure. And I think think anyone who's kind of put in a conscious effort into their, their, their healthy lifestyle, eating better, exercising. When you get symptoms, it's almost like you feel like you're being judged a bit by other people because they're like, well, how's that? How's all that kale working out for you right now? Exactly. And, exactly. you know, it's, it's like a, you develop a sense of shame that you can't fix yourself or that you may end up with a serious health issue, which you're like, well, that's a bit embarrassing because I'm the one that's been preaching, you know, eat all the vegetables, take your supplements, get to bed early, do your exercise. And I'm the one that now seems to have, you know, developed an illness. And I think, I think that's not just health practitioners. And it's so interesting. You said your GP actually said I developed, you know, similar kind of health Mm -hmm. anxiety, because I Mm -hmm. always think of GPs as just being so solid mentally Mm -hmm. to do that job and, and not affected by all of their clients coming in with all these symptoms, but clearly they are. But I think on the other side of it is this I suppose perception that that we feel we should be like just 100% healthy all the time, which is completely unrealistic and never going to happen. But it almost adds to when you do have a health issue, it adds to two things. I think almost like a, a drive to get better quicker because you're like, well, what if I try harder with the food or I try more supplements or I yeah. Google it more and find more answers, do more <laughs> yeah. tests, you know, yeah. like more energy goes into more the fixing. Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then more symptoms develop because you're actually piling the stress on and maybe just not giving the body chance to recover. And I think that's not just health practitioners. That is like type A personalities, mm-hmm. fixers, people that want to mm-hmm. get back to their good place mm-hmm. and try and force healing. And it's not really always something that can be, can be rushed in that sense. Yeah, I would agree with that too. Definitely. I think there's there's a shame around anxiety massively. Yeah. Uh, even even doing this podcast today, I've had, you know, doubts and and 
been quite self-conscious about because I'm thinking okay I'm I'm a health practitioner and I I'm going to say that I have periods of anxiety but then you know those are only fleeting moments because actually I I feel like we need to talk about the fact that we are just human all of us and we all have worries and concerns and health problems and health challenges and and just because we are nutritional therapists in our case, it doesn't mean that we're going to be this beacon of health the entire time because it's so unrealistic. And also just, I don't, I don't think we help our clients by, by making out that we are this certain way and this, this image of, of health perfection, whatever that might be, or whether, whatever that might look like. So yeah, I think there's, a, there's an immense amount of pressure and that word shame is, is a big one that I, I use a lot around anxiety because I think you can feel so vulnerable to sort of open up about, you know, I've had some anxiety and it feels embarrassing. It feels shameful, but the more you talk about it, I think the the less strong the anxiety gets and the less, you know, airspace that gets kind of thing. If we kind of squash it a bit by talking about it and actually being open. And also I think as somebody on a personal level, as someone who has, you know, has similar feelings to you, if I was going to go to somebody, I'd want it to be someone who could empathize with me, who's been mm. through that process, who's come up with things that, some solutions, but also it's very honest about the fact that it's not a, you get it and then you're fixed, you know, so don't mislead people, which is, I think what a lot of social media and, and some health professionals do, you know, I, I entered into this industry and I was like, oh, they went on a paleo diet and they are fixed. Mm-hmm. Oh, they started doing running and they're fixed, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they did something and they're fixed and it changed their lives. And I know personally, lots of things have, I've had a a real benefit to my health that we've talked about on the podcast definitely running was the first thing I ever did and I'm mm. still now a big fan of it for for kind of my mental health changing my diet balancing my blood sugars for sure but you're never truly fixed you know no. and I think it's it is important to be really honest about there's still going to be days where you can feel like you're back to square one but you're not because yeah, yeah. often the time is shorter and you've got things to put in place and but you know, just kind of accepting there's a, there's a bit of an ebb and flow to this and we're all going to be vulnerable to, to falling ill and, you know, struggling physically, mentally, immune system wise, yeah. um, hormonally. And it also changes with age, you know, I think as, yeah. you know, as I've got older, I've kind of noticed I've got to be careful about pushing it, sleep deprivation, stress, like I get feedback much quicker. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think in you telling your story and again, how you're getting through it and things that you're learning from it, I think mm. if anything should I hope it attracts more people to work with you because there will be that level of empathy that is present. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I hope that too. I think, you know, being relatable, not for relatable sake, but just by being, you know, sharing your own human experiences is certainly what I get attracted to in other people. And for instance, the, neuro- the neurologist that I saw, the second one, you know, I, I was able to actually open up far more when he, was vulnerable, you know, shared his sort of health challenges, mental health challenges. And it makes you realize that we are just all just trying our best, you know, <laughs> and that's all you can do. And it's, and it's not this linear route, is it? It's not this linear journey. We're all going to have ups and downs and different, like you said, different stages in our life. There might be different stressors that happen during different times in our life. They're going to affect things that we can't always control. And that's another big word is control, like letting go of that need to control how we feel all the time or how we feel mentally and physically. You know, it's just some things are just, you're just going to have to kind of roll with it a little bit and and accept that, um, okay, at this time, my mental health or my physical health isn't as good as it could be, but that isn't, that doesn't define me. 
if you if you see what I mean. You know, we just can we can adapt um, with whatever comes along with different stages of our lives. I think. And I I don't know about you, but I also feel it helps me identify it quickly in other people, like clients mm. and family. Currently, kind of watching my niece, it's really interesting because she's already really similar to your personality type actually she's already you know so young yet already overthinking things mm. lying in bed you can see her mind chattering away and very concerned that we actually took Hamish to visit and she's she's got a little cat and the cat and Hamish cat, Hamish is fine with cats he tries to lick their ears but the cat wasn't <laughs> too keen at first and you saw her worry about this constantly so whenever she was in a room she was like where's Coco where's Hamish where, where are they mm. you know like the, the worrier in her was just so ever present and then even as we're lying in bed and Matt and I are kind of snoring and dribbling over these stories she's like where's Coco where's Hamish where's Coco where's Hamish and so to Matt like it's really it's obviously just you know either things she's observed or it's just mm-hmm. a personality trait in her but that there's definitely like it gonna be a and I said you know to Matt growing up my brother's gonna have no trouble with her in terms of you know being naughty she's such yeah. a little upholder you know of rules yeah, yeah. the minute you know someone said don't do that she's like okay but I said that the, the the issue with her is going to be that she will probably be quite anxious and and, and also I think I, I fast forward, you know, like catastrophize a little bit. I was like, she's going to be so attracted to narcissists and people that can manipulate her because she's oh so gosh. nice and kind. And, you know, like, we're going to have to be like keeping an eye on the boyfriend, yes. girlfriend or whoever, or the friends at school because yes. she's drawn towards people that she wants to probably make happy and look after and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll mm-hmm. take advantage of that. Completely yeah. off track, but there we go. It's, it's, <laughs> no, made no. Me, it's made me very good at spotting. And in clients, you know, I can kind of see when someone's giving me like the abridged version or, you know, like kind of skimming over something that I can say, see is really important. And I yeah. almost rewind them and go, uh, 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 you, you, you've got no, to tell no. me about this low level anxiety because I'm not going to be able to, no supplement it in the world is no. necessarily going to work unless we kind of know the full story. So, yeah. Completely. And it's, it's, yeah, I think with anything mental health related, it's multifaceted, you know, how you, how you help somebody or yourself. It's, it's not just good nutrition. It's not just exercise. It's a, it's a combination of things. Do you, do you change your nutrition? Do you, I mean, kind of caffeine is the main one most people. Yeah. I, I actually haven't had caffeine for quite a while. I recognized, oh gosh, probably, I don't know, five, six years ago that that wasn't really agreeing with me. So I don't really have caffeine. I'll have the odd one or two just test out to see how how it affects me. And it usually doesn't affect me that brilliantly. <laughs> so um, I think, okay, I've tested that. It's still not good. <laughs> I'll leave that. Um, so yeah, I definitely still still steer clear of that. But I, I guess I just uh, try to eat, I don't want to say better, but yeah, I guess better for want of a... Uh, a better phrase but yeah just more whole foods cut down any on any of the sugar treats that might have come in to the diet um because like you said when you're feeling anxious and you're feeling low you know you do want to sort of reach for the not so healthy food sometimes and so there is sort of there was an element of that during that time last year where I was thinking okay I've let my nutrition slip and you know I can hold my hands up and say that even as a nutritional therapist so are you logging onto Skype with a big bowl of ice cream going tell (laughs) tell me your problems (laughs) and hiding the ice cream in the background the spoon would come up (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) no I wasn't too bad with ice cream but yeah I um I recognize that yeah this is not helping I need to you know get back on track with foods that make me feel good you know I'm not a big fan of saying foods are good or bad at all but I know that foods make me feel better or worse as as an individual and so I knew then that I needed to up my 
my sort of uh, fruit and vegetables. Um, I needed to up my protein was a big one. Like you said earlier, you touched on balancing blood sugars. I needed to be um, more mindful about um, increasing my protein levels during the day and increasing the healthy fats during the day, eating more fish, eating more uh, healthy fats, you know, avocados, things like that, nuts, seeds, rather than any of the, sort of the refined carbs that were you know, wanting to creep into, <laughs> into each day when, as I was not feeling that great. And yeah, it certainly, you know, had, a, had a big impact. And then I, I was quite diligent about taking my magnesium, which is such a help for me. I also took a supplement during that time, actually last year called Stabilium, which you might be familiar with, which is, um, a specific fish extract actually from a specific fish found in France. And it's, it's essentially good for resilience and stress management, but it's not necessarily suggested to take sort of long-term. And I would always suggest taking that with the guidance of a health practitioner, but that really was, was beneficial. Zincs, fish oils, things like that um, as well. Good hydration. So yeah, I, I definitely, definitely notice a difference with nutrition a million percent have you ever used anything like theanine or lemon balm like some of the calming herbs or I, not really? I haven't actually I have thought about doing that um and I haven't even tried ashwagandha myself I have taken 5-HTP quite a lot in the past um but I sort of decided to trial not being on that for a while but yes I, I mean I have those in teas I have like lemon balm tea and things like that lavender teas and things so I was fine with the 5-HTP at the moment. I'm kind of taking it more as a, for digestive health. It's actually in a lot of prokinetic supplements to help mm. the gut, gut move. And that's where I found, I think, the most benefit because stress mm. for me goes straight to my stomach. Mm-hmm. I think I literally just hold tension there and yeah. I don't really get, I don't get constipated. So TMI for anyone listening, <laughs> but I just get a lot of gut symptoms that suggest stuff isn't moving like it should. Mm-hmm. Like it's hanging around for too long. And I'm getting bloated. And I found 5-HTP really helpful for that. So kind of taking it when I know I'll be stressed, when I'm traveling and I kind of maybe I'm like just recently driving, like it's quite a big deal for me. I drove to Derby, then to Leeds. I was quite proud. Yeah, <laughs> but I know I probably have my stomach clenched for three hours. <laughs> I'm trying not to like crash the car. And it's funny, even in the car. I was going through scenarios like we get onto as soon as I saw a sign that said no hard shoulder I was like I'm gonna break down mm-hmm. I'm gonna break down because there's no hard shoulder what would I do where would I go what do you do with no hard shoulder like anyway um, so I found it helpful for that but it's interesting because I get a lot of questions about ashwagandha theanine and things like that and I think it's one of those where it really depends on the personally I've always found like the the environment and the the company and the things you've talked about much more powerful. Mm, so like mm. exercise, going outside, changing your breathing, having a bedtime story even. <laughs> and it's interesting because when I went to um, see someone, when I was a nutritional therapist in training, I went, we had to go to student clinics as part of your training. And I went oh, okay. and I was like, oh, I've got some of these, these kind of issues and I'm quite stressed. And I remember them giving me something called Zen Calm, this supplement, and it just did naff all. <laughs> but it's like when I look back, I was kind of writing a recipe book, getting up at five o'clock, training clients, going to college, trying to be a nutritionist. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And someone needed to really sit me down and say, like, your body's feeding back that this is just not sustainable. Yeah. And if you just actually took away some of these things, yeah. your symptoms would 
likely, you know, kind of, or your body would rebalance, but it was much easier to just pump them, calm down and convince myself it was doing for the best. It just did nothing. It was something like theanine and B6 and some other uh, stuff. But yeah. There's a, a kind of role for supplements and then there's a t- like half the time people are taking them when they could be doing much more themselves. I, yeah, again, agree. <laughs> with everything you're saying. Yeah, I do. And I would say that that was probably why I, I limited actually the supplements that I took was that I also didn't want them to become a stress. And I think I see that with clients is that they, you know, bomb, bombarding somebody with supplements is, is not the answer in my opinion, a lot of the time, because sometimes, especially for someone that's experiencing stress, that can actually add to it and worrying about, you know, what to take, how am I taking this? When should I take this? And it's actually like you just are getting to the fundamentals. So I think that's what I always try to promote is, okay, let's address the fundamentals and the things that are longer lasting, that that you can impact on a longer lasting um, level. Just, yeah. And and like you said, being around people that um, you can be yourself around and, and especially during that time I really confided in a really good close friend of mine and I would meet up with her and I wasn't in a brilliant headspace but she knew she knew me and she knew you know how to how to navigate that really I think and she was such a calming influence on me that you know I got so much from those from those catch-ups with her um even though I wasn't particularly you know giving her very much at that time but it's you know friendship's all about balance and and she was just talking about it and saying these things out loud and that you know I'm not I'm not doing great at the moment and I'm and I'm I'm okay to admit that now um and her actually just sort of being there and not trying to find an answer and not trying to you know fix things and but just listening and and that's just so helpful. So yeah, getting those those big basic things, you know, addressing those and then yeah, taking supplements as and when you need them. God, I'm cringing as you say that because I went for a walk with Matt last night and he was telling me about some things that he's worrying about and I went into fixer mode <laughs> and he was like oh, really stressing me out here because you're giving me <laughs> so many things to do and making me think that I could be doing more when actually I just want to tell you my troubles and it's like mm. I just need to get it off my chest and I was like all right and then I kind of went oh wow, <laughs> shut up then <laughs> in my defense I, I can't stand to see him struggle and I want yeah. to fix it type thing but yeah. like I'm gonna take a leaf out your friend's book now and I'm just gonna <laughs> listen and I'm gonna just reassure him that he's just it will all come out in the wash or something that's what his mum says all the time his mum never has any answers she doesn't understand half of what he's doing anyway on social media she goes it'll all come out in the wash anyway (laughs) but I think there's a place for both of that I think sometimes you do need somebody to actually try and help you know you find answers and and help you help guide you into certain you know down certain routes that you wouldn't necessarily know to take yourself but other times you just I think you just need to be listened to yeah which is kind of what a lot of talking therapy is there's often not many answers I know I've had some clients say like I'm not getting you know what I want out of the session they're not coming up with solutions but I think half the time it is about you releasing a lot of stuff and I'm a big fan of telling you what has kind of helped me with the health anxiety side of things is the work of people like Gabor Mate and uh, the book Body Keeps the Score where you can actually start to see that your thought processes and mindset and possibly like you know this has been around for most of your life is causing some of your symptoms and then it also gives you that motivation a bit more that you can heal yourself in in that actually if I do 
put those foundations in place and stop doing things that maybe I shouldn't be that, you know, even right down to a job or relationship where you live, you know, bigger changes, you'll start to see your health improve. And actually there's so much that we could all be doing. And I think those, I'll often just go on YouTube and put Gabo Mate in and it'll be random topics. He's done them on anything from addiction to eating disorders or if you're a caregiver and you're constantly looking after other people, then I found those really helpful because he'll t- tell stories about health issues developing as a result of emotional yeah. situations or emotional complexities that are going on internally. And that kind of gives you, like I said, it, it motivates me to think, stop working so hard, go and take some time out, not much sex in the city, chill yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and enjoy it because otherwise you just end up spending a fortune on stuff that's probably not work, working anyway so completely yeah uh, there's a time and place for it all but yeah sometimes you just need the simple sort of okay what do I need I think I need to laugh you know I think I, oh, I need God, some comedy yeah. and I've yeah, told yeah. you this before that at certain times I'm just like well I just need distraction not all you know I'm not one for avoiding feelings all the time and distracting yourself all the time but there are definitely times where I've thought I now need to laugh and I need to not think about all of this so I'm going to put friends on and it is just something that I watched you know hundreds of times but that or Gogglebox you just never felt like to make me make me laugh and and there's just so much to be said for just having a, a good old giggle and just complete that escapism and not avoiding the issue, but just having a period where you can escape and you can just forget about it and actually laugh. And it's such good therapy. I yeah. said when we came on the podcast, um, we were chatting about podcasts we listen to. And yes. I said, like, I kind of go back and forth between something. I don't listen to a lot of work, like health ones because it's doing enough of that stuff anyway. But I've got into Alan Carr's one, which is basically a travel podcast and he interviews loads of stars. And it's just, it's quite it just reminds me of growing up because there, a lot of stars talk about their holidays in Britain when they grew up and it's just nice escapism. Nostalgic. And it's, a bit, it's a giggle. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just, sometimes I've, I've been like, Oh, there's a new one. That's just what I need on this afternoon walk. You know, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't need to, to have anything taxing on my brain right now. And it is, yeah. it is great, but it's interesting. He even talks about kind of social media and coming off um, Twitter. He came off Twitter because mm. he just got so much stick mm-hmm. from people. And you think how, you know, when someone's just trying to make people laugh, yeah, it's just a shame sometimes, but it is a real shame. It yeah. is a real shame. And talking of social, I haven't actually posted anything for for several years because of just just not feeling drawn to it. But I'm I'm working my way back up to to posting because I think there can be a lot of um, pressure around social media and things. So I think yeah, you've got to you've got to weigh up what your what's the word boundaries are around social media. Yeah, know? yeah, definitely. There's elements to which you've got to kind of post. I always think everything I post has got to have some value for people mm. and possibly overthink it half the time. And I'll write such, I said to a friend the other day, I was like, I write such long posts. I don't even know I'm overcompensating, but I don't know that anyone gets to the end of mine. And she was like, I do. I was like, right, I'll yes, keep writing them then. I do too. I do too, genuinely. Oh, thank you. I worry that people are not reading anymore. And, and even our team say, can you carry Can you get it down to like three points? Um, can you make it a visual? Can you make it a drawing? I'm like, do you know how much chatter goes on in my brain <laughs> I need to get out somewhere yeah. this is actually my like journaling kind uh, of but. yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's such a sad state of the of of today isn't it that we have such short attention spans that we can't uh, we can't read a whole long post 
I know. And then Instagram have made it even harder by shortening it. So then I'll mm-hmm. post it, it'll go, your post too long. And I'm like, oh, God, I've got to spend <laughs> two hours making it abridged. But yeah, oh, I just, I, um, I like, I, I definitely benefit from, I follow a few people and I like longer posts and I read longer mm. posts. And sometimes I feel like the universe decides what I see that day. Yep. Same for YouTube. I was listening to a 90s dance mix and then the next thing that will come up is a talk on emotional health from <laughs> or Ruby Wax talking about it. Cause yeah. you know, I've kind of looked at her stuff in the past and I'm like, I'm meant to hear this today. And I let it run and it'll always be something really useful. So yeah. The yeah. universe controls my YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh Google. Yeah. <laughs> Google just knows what you need, yeah. What I need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Aww. But I, I am also just to touch on what you said. I am a, a big fan of of talk therapy too. I should say that too, that um CBT in particular can be so so beneficial for anxiety or anxiety-related conditions. So yeah, I'm a big advocate for that and and just and asking for help, you know, it can be really daunting and really scary and that shame comes up, I think, a lot of the time and and fear of what people might think. But actually, once you start talking, whether it be to a friend, a trusted friend or to your partner um, or to a CBT practitioner or a psychotherapist or what have you, it, it can be so, so helpful incredibly helpful and, and some of the tools particularly with cbt that that can give you specifically for managing um aspects of anxiety you know you can take with you for for life and you can apply to lots of different areas of your life as well yeah definitely i actually do like um just because i mentioned i mentioned again ruby wax's stuff and she talks a lot mm. about cbt mindfulness-based therapies all yeah. those different things yeah i think all of her stuff if you can read her books listen to i often just put her name into podcast app and like yeah. i'll listen to various different interviews with her and she always she's on a journey with it i think at the moment she's staying with a i guess sustainability community who lives yes i, I listen to that subsistence yeah. farming and she's kind of learning about how to to lead a non-consumerist lifestyle and stuff. so she's yeah, just yeah. i like her journey of kind of self-development and i agree yeah she's fascinating absolutely fascinating yeah, I really like her. Oh, well, I think we've covered so I don't know how long we've been talking for because I haven't got I haven't been looking at the clock. I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> Probably way over. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I think um everything that you've talked about is going to be really useful for people. And do you have your website and everything set up now? Can you give Yeah, my website is How Gutsy. <laughs> yeah, by Kate, how'd you go? But it's just howgutsy.com. And yeah, as I just mentioned, social media is not something that I'm doing really at the moment, but my website is is up and running. And yeah, I am specialising more with anxiety and anxiety related conditions. So oh, amazing. Um, I, I welcome, yeah, uh, anybody that's interested in, in finding out more about that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for giving thank up you. your time. I'm sure we'll get you back. There's there's loads more we can probably talk we about. We can always talk about yeah, things, yeah. can't we? <laughs> Let's do a session on the gut. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much. Guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do share it with anyone who you feel might benefit and uh, leave us a review if you can because it helps people to find us a little bit easier as well. Have a brilliant day. Take care. Thank you so much again, Kate. Thank and you. see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.